0: Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. And If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org.
1: My name is Heather Taves. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, and I am the teaching team director here at this church, and it is truly one of my favorite gigs of everything that I do. I love it mostly because I get a front row seat to see a lot of people that have the gift of communication get up here and communicate God's word, and my favorite spot is actually sitting right down there in that seat watching people that I love stand up here and talk about what God has shared within, but every once in a while, I get a chance to come up here, too, and um, share some things that I think are for us, and... Um, One thing I really believe is that God is giving the communicators in this church and not just the people that stand up on stage because there are a lot of people that hear from God and that speak out and equip people in this church that never get up on this stage. And so what I love so much is that he is giving people in this church very clear words for the people in this church. It's not words that have been regurgitated from some other pastor somewhere else, not that there's anything wrong with taking that and listening to it, but it's intimacy. It's God saying, I have a word for you, Church 214, here in Peoria, Illinois, and I want you to know that I see you, and I know you, and I want to speak to you. So over the summer, I had started the Gospel of John. I just randomly, but, you know, not randomly, (laughs) started reading the book of John, and I started to see this word. It's up on the screen, believe. It kept reappearing over and over and over again. I started underlining it in my Bible until it just became obnoxious because it was in there so many times. I thought, there's something to this. I think I need to dig a little deeper into this. And, you know, John even tells us the reason that he wrote this book. He gives us, he tells it straight out. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope that you do, can be the electronic version or old school version that I like. Turn to John 20. We're going to be parked out in the book of John for the entire message. These are John's words. He says, Jesus went on to do many more miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even included in this book. Awesome. Can't wait to get to heaven and hear about all of those. But all that is recorded is here. And then if, you, if you're the underlining type, underline this. Is so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the son of God. And that through your faith in him, you will experience eternal life by the power of his name. We could all just go home because that would be enough. That's why he wrote this Gospel of John. He wanted to be very clear. He wanted to make sure that we all knew the purpose of his writings. He, he said, let me be clear. I said something like this to my husband the other day. I said, honey, let me be clear. I said, if you give me that purse for my birthday... I don't want one with all the frou-frou on it. Okay, I don't like embellishments on my purse. And he's looking at me like, okay, I'm screwed. <laughs> I just want to be clear with you what I like. That's exactly what John was saying. He said, I want you to know exactly why I have written this account. And his purpose was so that we would believe. And that by believing... Because we believed, we would have life by the power of Jesus' name. So I want to ask you a question today. Actually, two questions. The first one is this. You can answer if you want to. You don't have to. I know some of you are shy. That's okay. Would you say that you believe fully in Jesus? Awesome. Here's the harder question. Does your life... Do your actions and do your attitudes reflect that? Does your life reflect that you actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is? (laughs) Now you're really quiet. See, I learned some interesting things about John the Apostle that I didn't know before. We all know that he was a fisherman, right? Yep, okay, but did you know that he was actually a very established and successful businessman? He had a fishing business in Capernaum with four other people, and it was quite successful. He also had a house in Jerusalem, and he was personally acquainted with the high priest. I had John in a box. I had him in a box as this ragtag, smelly, like kind of riff fisherman that walked around town, maybe he was homeless, maybe, maybe he slept in his boat, I don't know. I don't even know why I thought that, but that's what, come on, you had that in your head too, right? But here's the thing. God's God doesn't keep us in boxes. He doesn't put us in boxes like, here's a businessman, here's a ministry person, here's a mom, here's a dad, here's a mailman. He, no, he takes those boxes and he blows them all up. And he said, it doesn't matter what box you're in. I will use you no matter what. I want to use you no matter what. Here's the other thing about John. He was as close to Jesus as nearly anyone else on the whole earth was there were the 12 disciples and then there was the inner circle and John was in that inner circle one of the things that set John apart from all of the other apostles is his confidence in who he was you'll find in John 21 and a couple of other times Peter turns around and he sees the disciple behind them that Jesus loved those weren't Peter's words those were John's words That's a pretty gutsy thing to say in a group of 11 other disciples who probably would have had or wanted that same title. Like, hey, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Some would say that that's arrogance. Some would say that he just had a big head and was, you know, full of himself. But I think that when you actually read the writings of John, You dig a little bit deeper because when you read God's word and you don't just read the words, but you ask God for revelation and you dig a little bit deeper and you find out what's really behind the text, you find out the truth. And when you read this about John, you realize that this is his character and it's actually the opposite of arrogance. It is the deepest, truest humility you will find. Everything in this book of John points to the glory and the kingship of Jesus, and John does not one time use this book to highlight himself. I actually know that God wanted me to read this book of John to show me an example of someone who did not keep his eyes on himself, but kept his eyes turned to Jesus. He wanted me to read this book of John in the summer to see an example of someone who knew his true identity and the true identity of his Savior, Jesus. He wanted me to read this book this summer to see an example of how to make Jesus famous and myself unfamous. And I'm going to be real, real with you right now, okay? This this is an ongoing battle for me. This is real right now. This is something I struggle with today. The first time I remember having this feeling, I was um, a 15-year-old girl, uh, and I, I clearly remember I had to stop and think, when was the first time I can remember feeling this and noticing it? I want to be someone who is known. When was the first time? I was a 15-year-old girl, and I was participating in my first ministry week, and I was a student leader. Please don't chuckle at my attire. It's awesome. (laughs) Ankle length, navy skirt, baby. Here's the deal, though. I went to my first seminar, I went up to the table, I told them my name, and not one person knew me in that whole big group of people. I did not like that feeling. Everyone knew the people on stage. Everyone knew the people in charge. There was Miss Kathy, and she was so pretty, and she was so funny, and she was so smart. And she got up on stage, and she did these amazing things. And everyone knew Dr. Guthrie. He told the best stories I've ever heard still to this day in my entire life. And everybody loved him, and everybody liked him. But nobody knew little 15-year-old Heather Bennett. And I did not like that. So I determined to change that. I would work hard at becoming the best. I would work hard at creating the best team stations you have ever seen with the most creative die cuts that spelled out initiative and patience and obedience and generosity and all of the other character qualities that we had beat into our head. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Why? Because I didn't like not being known. And I desired the praise of people. Now, I want you to hear me. I loved Jesus so much. I have loved Jesus since, my mom can tell you this, the day I was born, literally. I'm pretty sure, even though I was a baby. And I had a true desire to serve him. So those two things are not mutually exclusive. The desire to be known by people and to have the praise of man and the desire to love Jesus. You can have both. Both can exist in your heart at the same time. But it took me years and years and years to realize that my need to be known by people was often what steered me. Maybe this is just a big problem for me, but somehow I think a lot of you actually deal with this too. We want to be known. We want to make a name for ourselves. Like This is an awesome life, and we have these amazing opportunities. We live in a time in history where we have amazing opportunities to create and to lead and to live in this awesome life, and we are supposed to do that. We are supposed to be, as followers of Jesus, the most creative, the best leaders, the most innovative, and we are here for it. We're here for all of it. But sometimes I think we're more here for it for our glory than for his. We're here for it, but we're here for our fame more than his fame. And after learning more about John, I think he had this figured out. John doesn't even identify himself throughout all of his writings, except for a couple times when he says, hey, I'm that disciple Jesus loved until we get to the very last two verses of John. John 21, 24, and 25. This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So at the very end of the book, we find out that it's John that has written this book. But scholars have studied this, and they say, we don't actually think that John wrote those last two verses. We think it was a secretary of his that added them on later, or we think it was someone in the church of Ephesus who was encouraging the people who were reading this book years later that John was, it was okay. They could believe his words. Because, see, these people that were reading it were second-generation Christians, so they didn't know John. They didn't know him, know for a fact that he was someone they could trust. And so this person has added these verses in, and they've said, you can trust him. What he says is true. John was not in an identity crisis. He knew exactly who he was, but more importantly, he knew exactly who Jesus was. And that, that set him free to make Jesus famous and himself unfamous. I think that John knew who Jesus was because he had been looking and waiting for him. Some of you say, Jesus just doesn't show up in my life, but you haven't been looking. John was actually first a disciple of John the Baptist. Two Johns in the Bible. It gets real complicated. John the Baptist, John the Apostle. We don't know how long he was his disciple, but we know that he spent a lot of time following him and listening to John the Baptist's ministry. And here's what John the Baptist's whole ministry was about John 1, 6, and 7. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. Remember that phrase? So that everyone might believe because of his testimony. So, John the Apostle had spent all of this time serving under John the Baptist as John the Baptist preaches to everyone who is coming and what it means for all of mankind. And he spent all this time watching John the Baptist promote Jesus and not himself. He saw true humility in John the Baptist. He saw a man who knew his own identity and purpose, and he knew the identity and the purpose of the one who was coming. John the Baptist's only mission was to make a way for Jesus, to prepare the people so that when Jesus came on the scene, they would be ready and they would be waiting. John's only mission was to make Jesus famous and to make himself unfamous. Some of the religious leaders even tried to trip him up in this and tried to get him to say that he was someone worth mentioning. And this is John the Baptist's reply. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, "'Who are you?' He came right out and said, "'I am not the Messiah.'" "'Well then, who are you?' they asked. "'Are you Elijah?' "'No,' he replied. "'Are you the prophet we've been expecting?' "'No,' Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in this crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, Though his ministry comes after mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. Then he goes on to say in John 3, you yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him And hear his vows therefore I am filled with joy at his success he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less and so when Jesus finally comes on the scene John the Apostle has seen the example set by john the baptist and john the apostle doesn't even hesitate and follows jesus most of us think that the first time that john followed jesus is when jesus called them out of the boat when they were fishing but actually john one tells us a different story the following day john the baptist was again standing with two of his disciples As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. And one of those disciples was John the Apostle. I wonder if some of us have a believing problem because we have an identity problem. We are here for our glory and not for his. We care more about our own needs than his needs. We care more about our fame than his fame. We value the praise of people more than the praise of our God. It's not that we don't believe. We just believe more in ourselves than we believe in Jesus. Both John the Baptist and John the Apostle were not in an identity crisis. They both knew who Jesus was, and they knew their rightful place was to make him famous and themselves unfamous. They did not have an identity crisis of themselves or Jesus. John even begins his account of Jesus very differently than the other gospel accounts. It's not right or wrong or better. It's just different. He jumps right in at the very first chapter, very first book, telling us who Jesus is. He says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. If you're new to the Bible and you don't understand what all of that means, he's talking about Jesus. He's calling Jesus the Word. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everyone that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Where do you think John the Apostle got that whole thought about light from? You remember John the Baptist's words? That a light was coming? He listened. He listened to the person ahead of him who was sharing about Jesus and what his true identity was. Don't ever underestimate the influence you have with those who are watching you or following you. You may not think that you're leading anyone, but every single person in here is leading someone. Whether you want to be or not, you are leading someone. And the influence that you have You are responsible for that. One of the stories that started me down this whole idea of believe and and jumping into this was one that I actually mentioned in a message a few months ago, and it's found in John 11. Jesus had these really close friends. They were three siblings. They were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You ever heard of them? We know that Jesus loved them deeply. He had been in their home. He had um, spent time with them. And Lazarus had gotten sick. We don't know much more about it, just Lazarus was sick. And the sisters sent Jesus a message saying, Lazarus is sick. Now, the text doesn't actually say, Lazarus is sick, come and heal him. But we know that they had seen Jesus perform healings, heal sick people. So in my mind, I'm thinking that's what they were asking him. Your friend Lazarus is sick, would you come and would you heal him? Jesus takes his time, though. And he finally shows up at their home, but Lazarus has already died. And both of the sisters, this makes me laugh because there are many times in my life where I will say something to someone and that person will look at me and say, that's exactly what Heidi said to me. Or, yeah, Holly told me the same thing three months ago. We do it all the time. We call it the sister cloud. Well, Mary and Martha were actually in their own sister cloud because separately, they go to him and they say, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. So both of them believed that Jesus had the power to heal their sick brother. But that seems to be where their belief ended. I'm not sure they even thought about the fact that Jesus had the power to bring Lazarus back to life. Jesus looks at him several times and he says, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And Martha's even like, yeah, I believe that, Jesus. I know you were sent from God to this earth. I know you were the Messiah. But then I I, I noticed something I had never seen before. She does something that struck me as strange, but then I'm like, oh, actually, (laughs) I think it's what we do often. And it showed me how limited her belief in Jesus really was. She only believed in half of Jesus. John 11, 27 through 28. He looks at her and he says, Martha, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And she says, yes, Lord. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. Martha said she believed that he was their savior, but she left Jesus to go back to her sister. She left the one who could bring her brother back to life and went back to Mary. She believed in half Jesus. She said, I believe you're the Messiah, but then she walked away from him. I wonder if any of us do that. We believe, but we only believe in half of Jesus. You say, yeah, I believe. I went to this series at church on Sunday. I raised my hand. I believe. But then we go through our Monday through Saturday, and some of the things in your life make it look like you don't actually believe in a whole Jesus. You don't actually believe in a Jesus who can heal you. You don't actually believe in a Jesus who can restore your marriage. Because you walk away before you even give him a chance to perform the miracle. You walk back to your own human understanding and your limited intellect. I know some of you think you're so smart. But you're so limited in your intellect. If you think that Jesus can heal but not raise from the dead. Because faith is not about what you know. It's about what you believe, even though you don't know it for sure. And you are returning to Mary before Jesus even has a chance to give you your healing. You're giving up on Jesus before there's even a moment for him to restore your relationship with your son or your daughter. You're giving up on Jesus because according to your own understanding, that thing is dead and stinky and Jesus was too late because you're believing in half of Jesus and you have an identity crisis of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I don't think that half of anything that I can think of is very good. I mean, I don't want half a nap. (laughs) I definitely don't want half a cookie. I don't want half of a haircut or half a vacation or half of a car or half of a, a paycheck. I want the whole cookie. I want the whole paycheck. And I want the whole wonderful long 10-day vacation. And I want the whole Jesus. Jesus finally, after a lot of talking, by other people, ends up at the grave of Lazarus. And he says, roll that stone away. And Martha, with her identity crisis of Jesus, says, Lord, I don't don't think you should do that. He's been dead for four days. It's going to smell like a hockey locker room. (laughs) It's the worst thing I could think of to compare it to. I almost fell over on Saturday when I walked into the rink. It was bad. And I can imagine Jesus so lovingly looking at her and saying, Hey, my dear friend, Martha, don't you remember I told you I'm the resurrection and the life? Don't you remember me telling you that you will see God's glory if you believe? And he brings Lazarus out of the grave and back to life. And here's what all that buildup about Jesus and those siblings was for. Underline this one in your Bible. John 11:40, "Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe?" Ephesians 3:20 says this: "Now all glory to God, because it's all about Him. Who is able? Say that. Who is able? You don't sound like you mean it. Who is? He is able. He is able through his mighty power at work inside of us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. He is able to do way more than we give him credit for because we walk away too soon. I want the whole Jesus. I want the Jesus that can not only heal the sick, but can raise the dead, can restore our marriages, can restore our relationships, can heal and deliver a city. We can see dead people walking around fully alive because the power of Jesus met us on the scene and we didn't walk away. My challenge is to all of us is this. What of ourselves is holding us back from fully believing all of who Jesus is and not just half of Jesus? For some, I would say it's an identity crisis because our eyes are fixed more longingly on ourselves than on Jesus. Our belief in him is half-hearted and we walk away from him before he even has a chance to show us his glory have a reputation for sucker punching you all when I preach I'm sorry about that actually I'm not sorry at all <laughs> but I want I want you to walk out of here with so much hope and so I want you to know how for you Jesus is like he's here for it he's here for you He is so continually chasing after us to show us his love, but also to refine us. And just like he told Martha, to show us what his promises are. And he won't back down. He won't back down until he has gotten rid of the stuff in our lives that is keeping us from believing in a whole Jesus. A couple of months ago, I spent four days in the wilderness in the mountains of Colorado at a retreat called Camp Well. It was a retreat for dreamers and doers. And a lot of you know this story, and a lot of you helped send me there, and I'm so grateful for that. And the camp was incredible. It was, it was amazing. I mean, amazing food, amazing people. They made my bed every morning, which was awesome. I don't even make my own bed every morning. And I thought, actually, I didn't know why I was going. I knew I was supposed to go. God lined up the details very specifically and very clearly, and I knew I was supposed to go, but I didn't know the reason that I was going. There was this thought in the back of my mind, though, and I, and I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but it was definitely there. I thought maybe I'm going to gain influence with people who are influencers and who have more influence than I have. You know, in any industry or in any group of people, there are the people, you know, in the middle and at the top, and there are the people on the bottom, and you're like, if if I'm on the bottom, I could just meet the people on the top. in the middle, they can help me get to the top, right? And these were all um, women who had either started incredible ministries, uh, there, were, there were all sorts of women there. and I thought, maybe, the, maybe these women, if I get connected with them, they can help me become more known. So you remember when I was 15 and I wanted to be known? Well, I'm one month from being 40, and I still want to be known. <laughs> and you know what? The longer sin stays in you, the uglier and the uglier it gets until it's dealt with. So I was at Campwell, I was I was in Colorado for five days, and for four of those days, I had no voice. Literally could not talk at all. People would come up to me and be like, Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'd be like, And then there's that super awkward where they're like, what? And so then you lean forward to, like, whisper in their ear. But that's really awkward because you don't know these people, and it's just not comfortable. And you're doing that all day long. In fact, I was so unknown this week in this group of 50 women that on day four, my small group leader, who I had spent Four days with around a table with eight other awesome women she looked at me and she goes are you a preacher four days and they didn't know anything about me I felt super isolated I was so long I'll be honest it made me miss y'all a lot like I liked you to before but when I was there I was like give me back my people One of the other things at Camp Well is that we didn't have any cell service, and which was fine. I actually liked that because none of y'all called me. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding. I love you. (laughs) But we did have Wi-Fi at the lodge, and so during the day we'd be at the lodge and we'd have Wi-Fi. But then we'd hike up these steps at you know I don't know 20,000 feet, and. I would be dying by the time I got up to the top of my cabin, like, <gasps> <sighs> okay, I got to sit down for an hour before I go inside. And then, um, then we wouldn't have any Wi-Fi in our cabins. And so in the morning, when I go back down to the lodge, my phone would start ding, 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 and all of my texts would come through. Well, one morning, I was sleeping in my cabin with no Wi-Fi, and my phone was plugged in by my bed, and I heard ding. And I was like, it freaked me out. I'm like, what in the world? And I picked up my phone and it was a text from my brother in love, Isaac. Where are you? It was from Ike. And it said, Heath, I was reading in the book of John and Ike and I had been going back and forth talking about what we were hearing and, and reading in John because he's preaching next week, so don't miss it. It's going to be awesome. And he said, I read this today and I felt like it was for you, maybe for your message. It's this passage and it's um, specifically verse 43. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, cool. Well, I'm not thinking about my message right now. I'm thinking about Camp Well and becoming known and meeting all the influencers. So I'll read that later. So Camp Well ends, and we um, at the very, very end, this is important. I can't miss this part. I was wrestling with so much loneliness, and I was restl- wrestling with feeling so very isolated. And I just I felt like I'm not even sure why I'm here. Like this stuff is all really good but none of it's really none of it seems to be ministering to me or speaking to me. And the very last day I heard the Lord very clearly say to me, "Heather, you are known by me." And that has to be enough. Yeah. Oh, okay. So day 5, I'm back in my hotel room. I was going to fly out the next morning, and I was like, oh, that passage from Ike, I should probably read this. Listen to this. You can't make this stuff up. And God can, but I can't. John 12, despite all the miraculous signs that Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe. For as Isaiah had said, the Lord had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to him and have me heal them. Because of their unbelief, Jesus could not heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and he spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. And that line right there that's underlined, that was verse 43 that I could say, Pay special attention to that verse. Thank you, Isaac. (laughs) And right there in that hotel room, you guys, I had to repent. And I broke. And I repented of loving the praise of all of y'all and all people and desiring that more than I desired the praise of my almighty God. And I repented of wanting to make Heather famous more of a driving force than making Jesus famous. And here's what I know about God. Here's what I'm learning. He will do as much for us as we allow him to do in us. And he will go to great lengths to bring you to a place, not of perfection, but of repentance. Because he's got to deal with your crap first before he can do anything through you. He will send you, he sent me to the wilderness. I was literally in the middle of nowhere to tell me, Heather, get your eyes off of yourself and get them back on me. That is how much he cares for your heart condition. And listen, th- that does not feel good. It isn't fun. It's not a carnival ride. It hurts. Digging up the roots of the sin and the gunk in my life did not feel good. But you know what comes afterwards? Freedom. Freedom. It's the total ability to believe fully who Jesus is and trust him completely. And that is when you get to see the glory of God revealed in and through you. So let me end with this story. Jesus has died. He's gone to the cross. He's been buried and raised from the dead. And the city is in chaos because Jesus' body is gone (laughs) And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were like, what just happened? And so all of the disciples are huddled together in a room, it says, with the doors locked, except for Thomas, who wasn't there. John 20, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Jesus brought peace into their fear. I'm sure the room felt very differently the moment Jesus arrived on the scene and spoke those words, peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. Some of you need to hear that today. Jesus is saying, Peace be in your situation. Peace be in your heart. Peace be in your mind. Peace be in your relationships. And then he said this As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And I think this was actually the first time they received the Holy Spirit. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And I think later in Acts, when the tongues of fire came, that was actually the first manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus gave it to him right there. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have, not, we have seen the Lord. And he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, unless I put my fingers on them, and if I place my hand into the wound on his side. And eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger right here, Thomas. You feel it? Put your hand right here, Thomas. Do you feel that? Thomas, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe who have never seen me. Listen to me, church. That is every one of you. You have never touched the nail prints in Jesus' hands You maybe have never touched the wound in his side. You have maybe never seen Jesus in the physical. But you believe, and he says, you are blessed because you believe, and you've never seen me. Jesus will go to great lengths to help your unbelief. Jesus showed up again Knowing Thomas would be there because he wanted so badly for Thomas to believe fully in his resurrection, in his life, in his power, and that he was alive. And it's not just up to you. You don't have to go this alone. Jesus is showing up for you. But you have to get your eyes off of you and put them back on Jesus. Jesus. And I want to ask you, whose example are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the example of John, who knew exactly who Jesus was, and when he saw him, he followed without hesitation, and he got to see and witness and be a part of the glory of God in amazing ways? Or are you going to be like Martha, who believed Jesus, but she turned away? before she gave him the chance to show her his glory. Here's the crazy thing, though. Both Martha and John got to see the miracles. Martha got her miracle. Martha's unbelief didn't disqualify her from the miracle. But just like Jesus told Thomas... You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You know what? We don't hear much more about Martha after that story. Her story just kind of dot, dot, dot trails off. But John, listen to how John, John's story ends. Jesus is with his disciples right before he goes back up to heaven. And he's just told Peter, the great Peter the Apostle, He's told them, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. You're the rock. And he said, You're going to do amazing things for me, Peter, but oh, you're also going to die for me, Peter. They're going to kill you because of me. And Peter turns around, John 21. Peter turns around and he sees behind him the disciple that Jesus loved. He sees John and he says, Lord, what about him? And I don't know if he was asking, like, I don't want to die without someone else. Like, what about him? Is he going to die too? Or maybe he was asking about, like, he's my best buddy. What about him? I care for him. I don't, I don't know what his thought was like. Who knows with Peter? But nevertheless, he was thinking about John. And Jesus replied, and he said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? And we do know that John was the only disciple that wasn't martyred for his faith. We actually don't know how or if he died. We do know that Jesus gave John revelation and a vision and he wrote the book of Revelation about the end times, about things that are still to come. Jesus trusted so fully in John's ability to deliver a message to a people that would last for thousands of years and maybe thousands more about what is still to come. And, you know, in that passage that I just read, I see Jesus saying, hey, Peter, don't worry about John. You just do what I've told you to do. Get your eyes off yourself and everyone else and follow Jesus. And I think because John didn't have an identity crisis of Jesus or of himself, and he believed in the whole Jesus and not half of Jesus, he saw the glory and the miracles of God. But God was able to use him infinitely more than he could ever have asked or thought possible. And that is my prayer for you today. Is that your belief in Jesus will be so full not in half of Jesus, but in all of Jesus, that you will be able to see and be used by God in such mighty ways because it is not about your fame. It is about his fame. It is about making Jesus famous and him getting all the glory. Would you stand up on your feet? Maybe there are some things in your heart that you need to repent of because you've had your eyes on yourself. It might be a relationship that you're you're unwilling to grant forgiveness because your eyes are on you and not on Jesus. And here's what happens when you turn your eyes off of you and you turn them on Jesus, you're willing to forgive because you remember that he forgave you. And so while I don't know all of the individual needs in this room, Jesus knows them. And you know them. They're in your heart. They're in your mind. You might have to dig a little to find them. Because they might be buried deep like mine was. But Jesus wants to set you free. He's chasing you down to bring you to a place of repentance so that you can believe fully, fully, Fully in who Jesus is. And by believing in him, you will see the wonder and the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. Over the next seven weeks, we will be sharing with you our characteristics. Characteristics are simply values. Most people have values that they stand by. Many businesses have values and most churches also do. We have values too, we just call them characteristics. Characteristics are simply our DNA, the things that guide us. The reasons the leadership team makes the decisions that they do are often based on these characteristics. For seven weeks, we will add one new characteristic each week to our podcast so that you better understand who Church 214 is and what guides us. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Today I'm talking to you about equip. Okay, so equip is one of our primary characteristics. And if you're brand new here to the church, you're sitting here for the first time or maybe the first month, you're like, I have no idea who this chick is and what she's talking about. Well, I'm part of the leadership team here at this church. And four years ago, God super clearly spoke to a group of us and told us to start this church. This was so far off of our radar that a few of us told God, no, thank you. And then we decided we better step forward in obedience and actually obey his word. And so from that step of obedience is where we get our church name, which is Church 214. This is named after Acts chapter 2, verse 14, where Peter and the apostles stepped forward to start building the church of Jesus in obedience. So as we were preparing four years ago, we were praying and we were seeking the Lord. What does this look like, God? Why are you calling us to this? And he so clearly spoke to us the word equip, equip. And many of us on the team, it kept resonating in our hearts and our minds, and everything we read was pointing us to this idea of equip. And we started to realize that he wanted us to begin equipping people with God's word. And so that is what we have been striving to do. Here's the deal. We are not the trendiest church in Peoria or the surrounding area. We are not the flashiest, but here's what we are built on. We are built on the idea that we are going to equip you with God's word, no matter what that looks like and no matter what that means. Okay? So we are constantly asking you, get into God's word, get into God's word. And it's not because we think we're holier than you, we don't. We know that when we're in God's word, it changes us, it transforms us, and it points us back to Jesus in every aspect of our life. And we believe that as we equip you with God's word, you are going to begin to understand the call that you have on your individual life. Okay, so this big family, this big group of people that God has called together, this family of a common ancestor, King Jesus, we are here to equip you in the truth of God's word, to help pull out God's call on your life. And there are so many of us here committed to doing that. And you know what? A ton of you are being raised up to help do that also. So, as we are just being faithful in what God's got for us, let's remember what is the purpose? What is the purpose? This isn't about you feeling comfortable. This isn't about anyone getting notoriety. This is about our common ancestor getting the glory he deserves. That's King Jesus. All right? So get up on your feet, church. We're going to sing to the King of Kings, and we're going to make his name famous here at Church 214.